Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so this song, it just, it lets me know what God's heart is for us. Even in a fallen world, walking with Jesus is so much better than not. And I just can't wait to the next world. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to be talking about the resurrection. Um, But let me give you a little background to help you understand what's going on here in the scriptures. When Moses gave the law to the children of Israel, one of the laws went like this. He said, if a guy who has brothers is married to the woman and the guy dies before having children, one of the brothers has to marry the woman to raise up children in his brother's name. So the, the, there's no problems with the heir and, and the perpetuation of the family line and that sort of thing. This is known by uh, people who study the scriptures as leveret marriage. The law that requires one brother to marry his brother's widow. So with that in mind, Jesus is challenged by the Sadducees. Back in the days of Jesus, there were pretty much three religious groups. There were the Pharisees. They were like the lay rabbis that everybody liked. Thank you very much. Now that you've gone through all that trouble, I suppose I'm going to have to use it. No, no, this is good. Thanks. <laughs> I don't need it. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) I'll put something on there. Thank you, Jose. (laughs) So there were three groups of Jewish people, um, religious groups. The Pharisees, they were very religious. They were the religious people for for the masses. They didn't hang out with the elite. They were just your, you know, ordinary rabbis, the people that interacted with the common people day in and day out, the ones that led the synagogues and taught the children and and were there for them. Those were the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the elite. They ran the temple. They were the um, politicians. They were the judges on the Supreme Court. They were the ones the people didn't like. And then there were the Essenes. They were the ultra-religious. They're the ones that had monastic societies out in the desert. They had people living in towns, too. They had their followers. But, so you had the three groups. You had your, your Pharisees, who were very religious, your Essenes, who were extremely religious, and your Sadducees, who were the liberals. They didn't believe in the afterlife. So they're running the Jewish temple, making atonement for people, supposedly, and they don't even believe in the afterlife. They don't believe in the resurrection. They don't believe in angels. They don't believe in demons. And that's why I just call them liberals. They didn't really believe what the Bible taught on these topics. But they always got into these arguments with the Pharisees because the Pharisees believed in all that stuff. And so they come to Jesus to argue with him. To get his perspective, I doubt it. Maybe to try to win an argument with him would be my guess. And so they gave him a trick scenario to see if he could come up with a good proof text for the resurrection. And here's what they said. They said, okay, you believe in this resurrection. Imagine this situation. There's this guy who gets married. By the way, if you didn't know, that's a bride. That's a Yemenite bride. They have some of the oldest Middle Eastern traditions that are still existent to this day. So if you want to have some clue of maybe what a bride looked like back in those days, that might be it. Throw a big veil on there, and I think you got the ticket. 
So they said, okay, there's this guy. He got married to this woman, and they didn't have any children, and he died. So according to the law of Moses, his brother married her. But they didn't have any children either. There were seven brothers, and they each married her. Now at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, seeing she had all seven? They think, ha, we got Jesus now. How are you going to answer for that one? So here's what Jesus said. Aren't you wrong because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God? When the dead rise, they won't marry. They will be like the angels in heaven. By the way, that's a, a little barb he threw in there because they don't believe in angels either. Now, about the dead rising, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the account of the bush, how God said to him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Oh, you're greatly mistaken. See, he says, I am the God. Now, I was the God. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. He couldn't say that. So the fact that he says, I am the God, is proof that they're still alive. There is an afterlife. Now, there are other scriptures he could have used, clearer scriptures, ones that you didn't have to use your head on that just plainly said so. So why didn't he use those? Well, there are a lot of religious groups, like the Sadducees, who only respected the first five books of Moses, not the rest of the Bible. So he couldn't leave any doubts in anybody's mind. He quoted from the five books of Moses, the book they said they honored, and he used a passage that everybody knew, and he made his case. I thought he did a great job. From those days to these days, there are still people who believe in the resurrection and still people who don't. Still people who believe in the afterlife, still people who don't. Still people who believe in angels, still people who don't. In the Middle Ages, uh, Jewish community, there was a, a famous rabbi named Moses ben Maimon. He became known by a pet name, Maimonides. And he's one of the greatest rabbis that's ever known. He wrote books and books and books, and his books are still used to this day. And he wrote in the Middle Ages, like 1200s or something like that. So he decided to make a real basic creed for Jewish people. He said, you know, we, you got your, this group, and you got this group, and you got that group. Is there some basic doctrine that all of us can agree on? Kind of like we have the Apostles' Creed. And that's really our statement of faith here at Book of Life Community Church. Is there some Greek creed that all Jews can believe on no matter what stripe and color they are? So I'm going to come up with 13 real simple things that if you call yourself a Jew, you got to believe these things. If you don't believe these things, you can't really call yourself a Jew. 13 articles of Jewish faith. Let me read to you the 13th one. I believe in perfect faith in the resurrection of the dead. That's the cap end of the 13 articles. So you know that the Jewish community were the descendants of the Pharisees, not the Sadducees. The Sadducees went the way of the dinosaur when the temple was destroyed. They ran the temple. They were the politicians. Israel was wiped out. The temple was destroyed. They lose. Now you got Pharisees. They win. They believe in the resurrection. To this very day in Judaism, resurrection is one of the 13 articles of Jewish faith. You want to consider yourself a good Jew, you have to believe in the resurrection of the dead. Interesting enough, listen to what the 12th article of Jewish faith says. I believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. And even if he tarries, I will await his coming. So a belief in the Messiah, 
even a Messiah who keeps putting it off, and the resurrection of the dead go hand in hand in Jewish thinking. All right, let me take a segue here. Not one of these things. Let me just a rabbit trail. Get away from that for a minute. Tell you about something that happened to me just a few weeks ago. Talking to a family member of mine, a Jewish guy, um, goes to a very observant synagogue, um, doesn't consider himself very observant, but goes to a very observant synagogue, and said, Steve, why do you believe Jesus is the Messiah? Doesn't the Bible teach that when the Messiah comes, there will be world peace? There is no world peace, so obviously he can't be the Messiah. You think I was offended, scared, and annoyed? I was thankful. He's asking me why I believe Jesus is the Messiah. Now I get to tell him why I think Jesus is the Messiah. Now let me explain to you some of what I shared with him, and just for your own knowledge. He was right. Judaism teaches, and the Bible teaches, that when the Messiah comes, there will be world peace. He's also right, there is not world peace now. And so that's a very good argument against Jesus being the Messiah. But there's some missing information that he didn't have, which is also in the Bible, and I got to share this with him. Now this, after I went home, I went and wrote him a letter, and some of the information in that letter I've written, and I'm going to ship it off one of these days in my email blast so you can get some of this stuff in writing. But I said the Jewish Bible does teach those things. It also teaches that when the Messiah comes, he will be rejected by his own people, die for their sins, and rise from the dead. The Bible also teaches that. I said, so here's what happened. The rabbis got together, and they knew that the Bible taught both. So they try to come up with a synthesis because this looks contradictory. How can he rule and reign and set up a peaceful kingdom if he's rejected and killed? Something's not right. We've got to synthesize this data. And so their synthesis was two messiahs. One messiah will come and die for the sins of the people. Another messiah will come and rule and reign. There's even a teaching in rabbinics that says the second messiah will resurrect the first messiah from the dead. So here's what Judaism teaches, even though your average Jewish person doesn't know this that there will be two messiahs, one will die for the sins of the people and be resurrected from the dead, and another will rule and reign. Do you see how close that is to what we believe? It's so close. But we don't believe in two messiahs, one coming. We believe in one messiah, two comings. We believe, as you know, the messiah came, was rejected by his people, died for their and our sins, rose again, said he'd come back to rule and reign. So I shared that with him. And then I asked him, what did you think about that? And he changed the subject. <laughs> and I snickered at him in a nice way. I said, I understand if you don't want to talk about it. Just let me know when you do. And we went on and started talking about guns. <laughs> <laughs> Which is very appropriate if you're going to talk about the resurrection, right? <laughs> So I said there were other verses Jesus could have quoted, but he chose the Torah because it was the most believed in. But there are other verses, and they're much clearer, that teach in resurrection, 
in the Jewish Bible. Let me read to you two of them. This one comes from Job. Now, Job is a good one to read from because most scholars believe Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Most scholars believe Job actually wrote it, and well, most, at least the conservative scholars, that he actually wrote it, and he lived before Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Moses wrote about Adam and Eve. He wrote about the very beginning, but obviously he wasn't there. It wasn't written until like, you know, 1400 B.C. Job lived maybe 1,000 or 500 years before that, and he wrote Job. So a lot of people think Job is the oldest book in the Bible. The oldest book in the Bible talks about the resurrection, which means that from the very beginning, that's been the belief of people. And here's what Job says. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. I hear you, Job. Mine too. There's a song by Nicole Mullins. I know my Redeemer lives. It's one of those few songs for me that's like a lifetime favorite. There's some songs that just stick with you forever. Others you cycle through. This is one of my all-time favorites. It's slow. It's introspective. And if you know me, I don't like slow or introspective. But that song just gets right to the heart of the matter. My Redeemer Lives by Nicole Mullins. I'd encourage you to YouTube it or Google it. See if it doesn't do for you what it does for me. That's Job towards the very beginning of the Bible. Now, Daniel also talked about the resurrection towards the very end of the Bible. Here's what he wrote, and I mean the Old Testament. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life and others to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So yes, Judaism, the Old Testament teaches there is a resurrection. Simply put, you can break it down, what I've shared with you, at least into two, three simple pieces. Simple piece number one, there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Simple piece number two, those resurrected will be rewarded or punished as they deserve. As Daniel said, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. And number three, this resurrection will happen at the end of days. We haven't seen the end of days yet, at least not the end of the end, though I think we're standing on the edge, getting ready to fall in. That's the Old Testament. New Testament has even more to say. There's an entire chapter given over to the topic in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, you might want to go home and read it, but I will read to you some portions of it to help flesh out your concept of the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, I'll start in verse 16, but then I'm going to be jumping through it. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. See, we're jumping into the middle of an argument. The Apostle Paul was trying to prove that the resurrection was a real thing. So I guess even though the Sadducees are gone, their belief system isn't. There's still people that don't believe in the resurrection amongst Jews and non-Jews. And he's trying to tell them, hey, if you don't believe in resurrection in general, then you can't believe in the resurrection of Jesus because he rose, didn't he? That's his argument. He says... If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. Then those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ are lost. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. 
In fact, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits means there's more to follow. That's what it means. But someone may ask, and I'm still reading, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow or plant does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow a seed, you don't plant the body that will be, but just the seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. I don't know if you've ever planted anything, but all of you who have been to school, you know food comes from plants, plants come from seeds. And if you look at a seed, it just looks like a little round thing or maybe a little oblong thing. It doesn't look like anything much at all. And yet you take this little oblong thing, let's just go with a kernel of corn, put it in the dirt. You water it, next thing you know, you have a stalk of corn. And on that stalk of corn is a bunch of those little things. You put one thing in, it dies, and comes back to life as something better. And I think this is cool. Um, man, I wish I brought a donut. I could really use a donut right now. Okay, I'm going to use a piece of paper. One piece of paper. How many pieces of paper? Two. But it's not more. It's the same amount. I've just made each piece smaller. You see what I'm saying? I don't have more paper than I started with. I have the same amount. When you take one seed, put it in the dirt, you should get one more seed or half a seed. But one seed produces hundreds of seeds. How does God do that? That's so cool. Think about that. There's nothing in nature that can do that. Everything else, they say, matter cannot be created or destroyed. Well, yeah, but you take a seed and you get lots of seeds. That's cool. That's science magic. That is an amazing thing. You take two people, put them together, and they can have four, six, eight, ten, twelve more. You take those twelve, twelve times twelve, 144. It's amazing what God has done. And the thing about the seed is, the seed never looks like the end product. The seed is just, it's kind of like one of those little worms, and then it becomes a butterfly, or a caterpillar becomes a butterfly. You know, larval, larval stages of bugs are gross. You notice that? They're just, they're disgusting looking. Even, even of some amphibians. Frogs are pretty cool, but you ever seen a tadpole or a polywog? They're like gross. They're like, I don't even want to say what they're like. They're gross. I used to live where they were breeding in puddles after every rainstorm. You'd walk down the street and they would be like tadpole soup. You could go down and just get a handful of them like that. And if they didn't grow quick enough and the puddle dry, they'd all just die and you have tadpole goo all over the streets. It was gross. Why am I talking about tadpoles? Because they change into something else. Those little caterpillars who are gross and slimy and wiggly looking and new, they become beautiful butterflies. Even maggots become flies. I'm not a big fly fan, but I prefer a fly over a maggot. The point is, the seed doesn't look like the end result. You're a seed. You are seed right now. We're going to grow into something else. And sorry for the illustration, but consider yourself a maggot. <laughs> Woohoo! Because you're going to grow into something so amazing in the resurrection 
that you can't even imagine it. Imagine the worm going to sleep one day and waking up as a butterfly. This is cool. I was crawling on bushes. It took me all day to get two feet. And now I can fly through the air and look beautiful. You're the caterpillar. This is what the scripture is trying to teach us. The resurrection is going to be amazing. When you sow a seed, you don't plant the body that will be just a seed, perhaps of wheat or something else, but God gives it a body as he determined. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another kind, the stars another, and each star differs from star in splendor so will it be at the resurrection of the dead. You're going to shine like stars. Do you remember what Daniel said? Let me read it again. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. So what are we going to look like after the resurrection? I don't know. We're going to look sort of like we look, but we're going to be shining Put on your shades. And some of us are going to shine brighter than others. I figure Moses is going to be so bright that if I wasn't shiny too, I wouldn't even be able to look at him. The Apostle Paul, he's got to be shining bright. That little widow who gave her last two coins into the treasury at the temple, she'll probably be as bright as Moses. Me? How bright will I be? Man, if I'm just a glowworm slipping in through the back door, I'm content. Really. <laughs> just as long as I get in, I'm good. So Paul continues, the body that is sown is perishable. It's raised imperishable. I was talking to a guy this week who had a brush with death. He had a heart attack. And uh, the doctor told him he doesn't have long now. Could be a matter of weeks, maybe months. So he wanted to know about the afterlife. Wow, boy, was I ready to talk to him. I had just done a ser sermon notes on it. So we talked for a while, and I said, listen, you may have a few weeks. You may have a few months. We don't know. You may outlive me. I may get in my car, drive home, and get hit by a bus. All I know is this. None of us are getting out here alive. So I said, you may have a few weeks. You ha may have a few months. You may have a few years. We don't know. What matters is... And we talked about Jesus, how he could be certain that his next go-around will be so much better. The body that is sown is perishable. None of us are getting out of here alive. It's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. So how are we going to rise from the dead in honor imperishable, glorious, and powerful. Yeah. Sign me up. I am signed up. I'm in the Lamb's Book of Life. I hope you're in there too, because this is how you'll be raised. Then he goes on to say, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we all will be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. I want a bumper sticker that says, I'm a seed. Maybe I should get one that just says, I'm a maggot. <laughs> just to freak everybody out, you know. By the way, I said none of us are getting out of here alive. That's not absolutely 
spot on. If there's people alive during the rapture, we're going alive. We're getting out of here alive. So if the rapture happens during our lifetime, you're getting out of here alive. But for the rest of humanity, we're not getting out of here alive. But who cares? If you're with Jesus, when you die, you will blink and open your eyes into heaven, and Jesus will be there. And I'm thinking of another song that has touched my soul deeply. I can only imagine. Will I be on my knees crying or will I be dancing for joy? I think when I get to heaven, I will collapse at the feet of Jesus and bawl for a month. And he will pick me up, dry off my tears, hug me, and we will dance into eternity together. That's what I think it's going to be like. I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. We're going to be immortal. We're going to be Superman. Super strong, super powerful, immortal awesomeness. And there will be no kryptonite. All right, so just some quick points to wrap this all up. There will be a resurrection at the end of days. The Old Testament, New Testament talk about it. Those who rise to righteousness will rise instantly in a glorious, powerful, incorruptible body. The others will not. They will rise only to be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. And we can choose how we rise. The choice is ours. Jesus was at a funeral. Actually, somebody sent a messenger to him and said, my brother, Lazarus, your friend, is really sick. We think he's going to die. Would you please hurry up and get here so you can heal him? And the Bible specifically tells us that Jesus delayed three days. He intentionally didn't go there to heal him. He gets there, and one of the sisters is crying, and she said, Lord, he's dead. You're too late. Why didn't you come sooner? And Jesus said, if you believe, he will rise again. And she says, I do believe in the resurrection at the last day. Not a Sadducee. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Anybody who believes in me, even if he were dead, he will live. Do you believe this? Had the tomb opened up, don't think of a grave in the ground. This was a rock-cut tomb. Stone rolled away. Cavernous. Lazarus, come out! And he did. Could you imagine how everybody reacted at that moment? Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The person who believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. Do you believe this? So, Jesus told those Sadducees at the very beginning of our lesson, aren't you wrong because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God? How is it that they did not know the scriptures? They were Sadducees. They were priests. They should have known the book backwards and forwards. The Bible is different than all other books. It's a spiritual book. 
And if your spiritual heart is hardened, you can't understand the book. So their problem was they didn't understand the scriptures, even though they read them. He says, your problem, you have two problems. Problem number one, they didn't know the scripture. That does not have to be your problem. You can go home and read it as soon as you're done with church and every day for the rest of your life. You know how awesome a privilege that is? That's problem number one. They didn't know the scriptures. Problem number two, they didn't know the power of God. I don't know how to answer for that. What can't God do? I don't know. With God, all things are possible. God is powerful. See, I guess they thought, you know, resurrection of the dead. How could that happen? With God, all things are possible. So, I guess the lesson of the Sadducees is a take-home for us. The Word of God and the power of God. Do you believe in both? Do you trust both? Let's pray. Lord God, I want to pray like that one father prayed whose son you healed. Lord God, I do believe. Help my unbelief. For all of us who have our times of doubt, Lord, just show us again what your word says, that with you all things are possible. You are the one powerful, true, and living God who can do all things. May we trust you. May we trust you with all things. May we trust you with our souls. Jesus, you rose from the dead. You said you were first, but many would follow. I believe you. And I pray that everybody who hears my voice right now would believe you to resurrect into eternal life, into a glorious body that we might shine like the stars forever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.